Book Three, Chapter Five, Part Five of the History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ernst Schnell. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two by Henry Charles Lee. Book Three, Jurisdiction, Chapter Five, Part Five appeals to rome this transparent by-play did not deceive innocent cabrera had an audience january eighth sixteen fifty one and told him that fonalleda was only waiting for a vessel to which the pope replied that he had been in spain and knew how things were managed there there was collusion between the king and the inquisitor-general he added that he bore ill-will to villanueva of whom he had had to complain and would probably punish him more severely than the Inquisition had done, to which Cabrera replied that this was a matter of indifference, for all the Inquisition wanted was to close the door on these appeals. The tension was becoming dangerous, for, on February 18th, the nuncio notified Arce that he and the Suprema had incurred the penalties of the brief of evocation, that they could not be absolved until the papers reached Rome, and that still stronger measures would be adopted. When Arce attempted to explain, the nuncio told him that the Pope would abolish the Inquisition, to which Arce rejoined that God would not permit him to do so. In reporting this to Philip, Arce recapitulated the heavy penalties incurred ipso facto, adding that if the Pope should publish such a sentence, there would be scandal and discredit to the Inquisition, wherefore in the name of the Suprema he begged, as had frequently been asked before, that there should be no further delay in Fonagira's departure. Of this a certificate was asked for transmission to the Pope, as was likewise a supplication of much urgency from the Suprema on March 1st. This was all purely for papal consumption. Philip himself was beginning to hesitate, and on March 2nd he ordered the Council of State to consider the tenacity with which the Pope was insisting upon his encroachment on the regalias and the privileges of the Inquisition. Arce at once took the alarm, and, in a memorial to the king, he sought earnestly to dissuade him from yielding. He repeated the falsehood that for a hundred and fifty years there had not been an instance of the pope disregarding the royal wishes, and reminded him that he had declared that he would rather lose his crown than allow the case to go to Rome. Now he learns that the king, in consultation with the council, has resolved to let the papers go to Infantado with instructions not to deliver them, or to ask the Pope to return the package without opening it. It is folly to believe that he would do so, and such precedent will be ruined to the Inquisition. In this memorial, Arce alludes to a papal command received some time before to retire to his see of Placencia, from which he had been absent for eight years. A favorite method, as we have seen, of getting rid of a troublesome Inquisitor-General. The command had been disregarded, and now it was emphatically repeated. Philip complained to his ambassador that this was even more offensive than the evocation of Villanueva's case. It would result in irretrievable damage to religion and to the state. He had asked the nuncio to suspend the order, and now he requests the pope to accept Arce's resignation of his bishopric and pass of bulls of presentation for his successor. Innocent was too shrewd to forfeit his hold on the antagonist, he played fast and loose with the resignation until he had carried his point, and it was not until December 2nd, 1652, that it was accepted, and Arce's successor, the Bishop of Zamora, was preconized. Arce lost his see, 
but he gratefully acknowledged that Philip's liberality was such that he could forego the revenues. It must have cost the king dear, for Placentia was one of the wealthy seas, estimated in 1612 as worth 40,000 ducats a year. In spite of Arce's remonstrance, Philip yielded to the advice of his counselors. In a letter of April 11, 1651, he announced to Infantado that orders had been given to Fonoyeda to sail and deliver him the papers. Then, with an earnestness that betrays the cost of the sacrifice, the duke is told to refresh his memory with all the arguments advanced in previous dispatches, and, when thus fully prepared, he is to seek an audience and express the king's mortification at being forced to submit to an innovation so unexampled and so subversive to the rights of the Inquisition. If this fails to move the Pope, he is to ask that the process be returned unopened, when the Inquisition will revise the case. If this is unsuccessful, he is to request that the case be referred back to the three bishops. In the event of the rejection of these proposals, the process is to be laid at the Pope's feet with an exhortation to consider before opening it the disfavor shown to the royal person and to the kingdom of Spain in the sight of all Christendom. Philip was fairly beaten. If his humiliation was extreme, it was because he had attributed such absurd adventitious importance to the question and had staked everything on a struggle in which the papacy had unquestionable right on its side. There was nothing left for him but retreat, and, with curious infelicity born of weakness and obstinacy, he contrived to render his defeat as undignified as possible. Permission to sail was issued to Fonoyeda April 14th, but it was not until September 17th that Infantado reported that he had delivered the process to the Pope with the hope that it would be speedily returned without being read by the ministers, or at least by more than one. It suited the Spaniards subsequently to assert that the promise had been given that the packet should not be opened, but such a promise would have been grotesque, and this letter shows that at most there was some assurance that a knowledge of the contents would be confined to a few. At the same time, there can be no wonder that the Inquisition felt acutely the disgrace of having such a record exposed to unfriendly eyes, and the effort to get the papers back commenced at once. As early as October 31st, Infantado reports his efforts to accomplish this, but as yet without success. Infantado was replaced by the Count of Oropesa, whose letter of instructions, April 23, 1652, orders him to pay special attention to the matter. Innocent had committed it to Cardinals Lugo and Albizi, but in June he stated to Cardinal Trivulzio, then representative of Spain, that he had given much labor to it, and had recognized in it contradictions and variations, leading him to the conviction that it was a matter of vindictiveness. He refused to return the papers, but did not care to intervene personally in the case, and thought he might delegate it to some bishops. Now that he had vindicated his jurisdiction, he evidently felt little interest in what he regarded as merely an intrigue. Nothing further was done until October 12th, Innocent addressed two briefs, one to the king and the other to Arce. It is evident that the acquittal in 1632 and the condemnation in 1647 had excited no little comment in Rome, for in these briefs great surprise is expressed at the mutability in the opinions of calificadores, consultors and judges, such as might be expected of the populace, but not of learned and thoughtful men. To soften this reproof, some expressions followed highly commending the Inquisition as the ornament and protection of Spain and, to the king, 
Innocent added that, owing to the importance and prolixity of the case, he had not been able to reach a conclusion. The nuncio, however, in handing his brief to Arce, told him that the Pope had concluded to place the case at the disposition of the king, and that the papers had been returned to Trivulzio in Rome. Arce was radiant with triumph. Cabrera had reported the same and petitioned to be allowed to return, and nothing remained but to get the papers back. They did not come, however, nor any brief recommitting the case. Arce grew anxious and begged the king January 4, 1653, to urge Trivulzio to obtain them. Innocent either was taking malicious pleasure in exciting hopes and then disappointing them, or else he was using the position to obtain diplomatic advantage in the growing tension between the courts over the Barberino marriage of the granddaughter of his brother, a transaction in which he complained that the Spanish ministers had almost threatened him, and that no present had been sent on the occasion. Cabrera's letters of December 1652 and the first half of 1653 report a series of tergiversations and of promises made and broken by Innocent, which show that to him Villanueva was merely a pawn in the game between Rome and Madrid. Villanueva died in Zaragoza, July 21, 1653. In his will, executed the day before, he made ample provision for the salvation of his soul, and San Placido was in his mind to the last, for he appointed as its patron his nephew Jeronimo and his descendants, or in their default his niece Margarita and her descendants, they being the principal heirs of his large estate. The only change which this brought into the affair was that the Inquisition proposed to take advantage of the opportunity to commence a new prosecution against his fame and memory, apparently with the double purpose of vindicating its jurisdiction and, by sequestrating his property, of restraining the family who continued their efforts in Rome for a vindication. Fortunately for them, Alexander the Seventh, who saw in such action an invasion of his jurisdiction, prohibited in 1656 this cowardly profanation of the ashes of the dead, and when with quenchless malignity Arce in 1659 sought to get this prohibition removed, the attempt was unsuccessful. It is scarce worth while to follow in detail the further wary progress of this affair, in which Spanish tenacity was pitted against the wily diplomacy of Rome. Pertinacious efforts continued for years to get the case remitted back, or at least to have the papers returned in order to create the belief that it had been remitted. Stimulated by energetic instructions of August 24, 1658, from Philip, his ambassador, Gaspar de Sobremonte had a stormy interview with Alexander the Seventh, in which the Pope finally told him that the case had never been considered by the Congregation of the Inquisition, and that the King must content himself with the brief of October 12, 1652. To this Sobremonte retorted that that brief settled nothing, when the Pope said vaguely that he would see whether any satisfaction could be given to the Inquisition. So it continued until Alexander, grown wary of the urgency which promised to be interminable, cut it short March 29, 1660, by a brief to the king, in which he said that the case had been finally concluded by Innocent X, as appeared from his letter to Philip and Arce of March 12, October 12, 1652. There was nothing more to be said about it, as would be fully explained by the Archbishop of Corinth, the nuncio, to whom full credit was to be given. This ended the case, which from its inception in 1628 had lasted for 32 years. 
Cabrera had spent nearly twelve years in Rome, and had richly earned the bishopric of Salamanca, which rewarded his labors, but his efforts while there had cost the Suprema nearly a hundred thousand ducats at a time when it was representing itself as wholly impoverished. Arce had succeeded in removing Villanueva from the court and in blackening his memory, but the victory remained with the papacy, which had vindicated its appellate jurisdiction for, although it never decided the case, it retained possession of it and the papers, which were the symbol of its rights. With its customary unscrupulousness, the Suprema endeavored to evade the precedent when, in 1668, it was alleged in the quarrel with the Bishop of Majorca. In a consulta of that year, it gives a summary of the case up to the delivery of the papers to the Pope, who then, it proceeds to state, sent a brief full of favors to Arce, approving of Villanueva's sentence and the method of procedure. There was, it is true, an irregularity in allowing the papers to remain in Rome, but the Pope excused himself because the originals were in Spain. The evil example led several powerful men to seek appeals to the Holy See, but the Pope refused to entertain them, recognizing that it was injurious to the faith. When in the same quarrel it boasted of the bulls, which it held prohibiting appeals, the Council of Aragon pointed out that the popes always preserved their reserved rights by a clause excepting cases in which they should insert in their letters the text of the bulls thus derogated. In the subsequent quarrel with the canons and clergy of Majorca in 1671, volume 1, page 503, the later appeal to the Holy See under the brief obtained in 1642 and procured letters declaring void the excommunications fulminated by the tribunal, and valid those uttered by the executors of the brief. The nuncio exhibited these letters to the inquisitor-general with a paper arguing that these appeals should be allowed, and asking, in case there was a privilege or regalia to the contrary, that it should be shown to him. This was a test which the Suprema could not meet, and after a long delay it sent, June 11th, 1676, to the king all the documents bearing on the subject, and asking him to assemble a junta to consider them and advise him what to do. It must have been impossible to solve the question favorably, for, in a consulta of July 28, 1693, on the occasion of a fresh disturbance, it expressed its profound regret that the junta had failed to reach any conclusion. Two centuries of bickering thus left the Holy See in possession of its imprescriptible jurisdiction, but the Bourbons were less reverential than the Habsburgs. In 1705, the hostility of the papacy led Philip V to forbid the publication of papal briefs without the royal exequatur, and to prohibit all appeals to Rome. He held his ground in spite of the furious manifestos of Monroy, Archbishop of Santiago, proving that obedience was due to the Pope rather than to the King, and the more temperate argumentation of Cardinal Belluga, then Bishop of Cartagena. We hear little after this of appeals of individuals and, indeed, the experience of Villanueva, while apparently a defeat for the Inquisition, was in reality a victory, for it showed how hopeless was the contest of a prisoner against the whole power of the Inquisition and of the Crown. Even when the Holy See had the advantage of being in possession of the person in dispute, it could only fight a drawn battle, as in the case of Manuel Aguirre, who, in 1737, escaped from the prison of the Inquisition, made his way to Rome, and presented his appeal in person. When the Curia demanded the papers necessary for his trial, 
the inquisitor general orbe ilaratigi did not in terms deny the papal rights but argued that the inquisition was privileged to conclude a case before forwarding the papers for review and offered that if the holy see would return the prisoner his flight should not be held to aggravate his offence and in due time all the desired information would be furnished to rome the acceptance of such a proposition was impossible but the papacy was in no position to contest the matter after the death of orbe in seventeen forty the curia took the case up again for discussion but the only course open seemed to be to instruct the nuncio to persuade the inquisition to obedience and we may safely conclude that aguirre escaped without a trial the ecclesiastical organizations as in the majorca cases were in better position to engage in such conflicts but philip v was as little disposed as his predecessors to permit them the multitudinous quarrels over suppressed prebends and the benefices held by officials of the inquisition had always been a fruitful source of such appeals and the curia was never loath to entertain them a typical case was that of francisco velez frias private secretary of inquisitor-general camargo who obtained the dignity of presenter in the cathedral of valladolid much to the disgust of the chapter it applied to the inquisitor-general for the papers in the case alleging that it would reply but returned them without comment and appealed to rome where it obtained a rescript from benedict the thirteenth committing the case to an auditor of the camera and inhibiting the inquisitor-general from its cognizance when philip was informed of this he intervened in the spirit of ferdinand by his order the marquis de la compuesta wrote to the dean and chapter june nineteenth seventeen twenty eight expressing in vigorous terms the royal displeasure at an act so offensive to the inquisitor-general whose jurisdiction in such matters was exclusive and so contrary to the will of the king and to his regalias they were ordered without making a reply to abandon the appeal and to apply to the inquisitor-general and the suprema who would render justice in the case it is safe to assume that they did not venture to disobey the papacy of the eighteenth century was in no position to contest the growing independence of the temporal powers while the revival of spain under the bourbons rendered hopeless any struggle against the resolve of the monarchs to regulate the internal affairs of the kingdom yet in this the holy see was deprived of its inviolable right for the latest authoritative utterance of the church in the year eighteen ninety nine tells us that it is an article of faith that the roman pontiff is the supreme judge of the faithful and that in all ecclesiastical cases recourse may be had to him it is therefore forbidden under pain of excommunication to appeal from him to a future council or to impede in any way the exercise of ecclesiastical jurisdiction whether in the internal or external forum moreover it is against right reason to exalt human power over spiritual power which is supreme over all powers end of book 3 chapter 5 part 5 recording by ernst schnell